The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. My name is Jonathan Busfield. I'm here with my co-host, John Cuna. Got some new intro music today. Thought we'd change it up a little bit, you know, a little new music for the summer. <laughs> Plus, who? someone heard our music elsewhere. Me. I you? heard it yeah. like a TV commercial, and I was like, oh, can't do this anymore. Guess we're not the first ones to use that music, so <laughs> yep, time to switch it up. That too. Switch it up. So we got a new one. Um, thanks everyone who's listening for joining us today. This is our uh, uh, our newest episode. We're going to cover Peyton Pritchard. In, in past episodes, at least to start when we started the podcast, you know, we we obviously named the podcast Grim the Grim Drive podcast. We talked a little bit about in episode zero what Grim Drive is. Mm-hmm. We try to talk in bits and pieces at different points based on who we're covering what Grim Drive is as has, how it relates to that particular athlete. Um, and then sometimes in episodes, we kind of give a little segment on like just a grim drive example. Yeah. You know, kind of like a one-off example where we talk about it for like 30 seconds to two minutes, nothing, nothing too extensive. Um, you know, I think we've talked about Julian Edelman, I think in that category, cause he was retiring. I mean, there's some other Boston athletes, um, that kind of fit that grim drive example. I think Justin Pedroia comes to mind, Julian Edelman, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew Slater will probably be in that category. We've covered some other athletes that non-Boston athletes who, definitely fit into the i mean i guess most of the athletes we cover could probably be characterized as having that right. kind of grim drive uh, tendency um but serena williams and justin Forsett definitely come to mind as people who who clearly you know out- outwork people or are just committed to their kind of passion mm-hmm. or purpose um so peyton pritchard is someone who you know as soon as he was drafted and you started to hear some of his background it was pretty clear to me like that's the first thing i thought of like oh my like this guy is absolutely just relentlessly dedicated to what he wants to do uh, I have a lot of respect for someone who's willing to commit to something to that level. So I'll give a quick bio. He is a, a rookie NBA player on the Celtics right now. He played four years at Oregon, um, and he's from the state of Oregon as well. He was selected with a 26th pick in the first round of the 2020 NBA draft by the Boston Celtics. A couple interesting facts. He won four consecutive state titles with Westland High School and earned 2014 and 2015 Todd Pratt Player of the Year in that state. Uh, he was also Oregon Class 6A Player of the Year and 2015 Gatorade Oregon Player of the Year. Uh, he's played multiple future NBA stars and lottery picks while at the Les Schwab Invitational throughout his high school career, including Ben Simmons, Jalen Brown, and Jaleel Okafor. Um, so this guy has, you know, he's a rookie, but he's been around. I think people, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say has a cult status, but people knew who he was for mm-hmm. a long time because uh, he just kind of kept showing up at things and, and outperforming expectations, I think. Uh, so we don't. I couldn't find a charity. You know, usually we try to focus on a, a, a charitable organization that this player, um, you know, supports or favors. I couldn't find one specifically. Doesn't mean he doesn't do that type of thing. Right. But we um, we just always use same here. It's samehereglobal.org. Um, they have a podcast as well that we encourage people to check out called "We're All a Little Crazy," and they get into some similar stuff as we do. Right. They mm-hmm. talk about sports. They talk about mental health. 
Um, you know, we know Eric Cusson, who's from same here, great dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's on that podcast with, I think, Theo Fleury and it's a member of the media as well. Can't remember. It's, Can't remember. Yeah, it's not. It's not coming to uh, top of my head. But I also want to correct a mistake from the past. Theo Fleury. I, I said he was a former goalie. He's not. He was not a goalie. So my apologies to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a hockey player, but not a goalie. Um, so Peyton Pritchard. We're going to cover him today. Um, John. You know, we're going to get into, you know, why we think Peyton Pritchard is a great example of, of grim drive in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into that, what are some of your key takeaways just about, I mean, it was ma- mainly one Boston Globe article that kind of gets into just how dedicated he is in his past and stuff like that. That's kind of what we went off of. What are some of your takeaways from that? The One of them was, you know, thinking about him as an athlete and like some of the stuff that contributed outside of his own like clear intrinsic motivation and uh, grim drive mm-hmm. outside of that because we're going to get into that um, in just a second but wanted to sort of touch base on some things that I think really helped to contribute to him mm-hmm. um, like the concept of like a training partner is something that a lot of athletes always kind of talk about um, or have and you're it's always a benefit <clears throat> and so like having somebody on the team that's sort of like a competitor slash friend I think mm-hmm. is really important and he had somebody on his high school team Anthony Mathis who, was, point. Who, fit, about that. who yeah. fit that role for yeah. him yep. who was sort of like always I mean his parents his I think um, Anthony Mathis mother was moving to like Wyoming and he didn't want to leave because he enjoyed the basketball team and so um, Pritchard's family like took legal custody so he could yep. stay and yeah. continue to play for Oregon so um, I think he in that article talked about like the two of them always like going back and forth and at some points like even getting into fist fights if there was stuff like that and then settling it and going right back to it. But I think it brings up a really important point of I think um, of having a person that's going to be able to kind of push you. I think you pushing yourself is really is the most important place. He clearly has that. Um, <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, but having another person on the team that you both respect and have a competitive edge, I think is really important because that's a really great model for competitiveness just in general. I think a lot of times, um, you know, we see competitors as people like we hate or we don't like them or they're this terrible person. And I don't think that that's a really healthy way of looking at a competitor. You really should be respecting them because we've talked about this in previous um, podcasts too, but a true competitor or, or a true rival or a true person that pushes you, how could you be anything but thankful for that to that person? They're, yeah. they're helping pull out your best work or your best performances. How can you not be grateful for that? And yeah. having a person he can train with on that to help him like understand how to do that and then experience that is vital yeah i think it's like the the sort of relationship between wanting to like sports version kill that person in the moment when you're doing when you're competing against them and the second the competition stops it flips to just this place of ultimate respect and connection and Mm -hmm. i think that for people who are able to do that i feel it's a a testament to their character because they're they're able to get the most out of themselves as a competitor and an athlete, but then they also are able to switch gears and recognize that sports, when you're locked in, you're locked in and you're committed and you're competing. But when, when that ends, you go back to real life and you don't have yeah. to hate these people. And I, I think that um, whether it's a best friend that trains you and it's your partner in, in training or it's a person you compete against, like, you know, who's on another team. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same kind of thing. And I think some of the best players you see, Tom Brady kind of comes to mind where like when he's in the middle of a game, like he just wants to destroy everybody. And that's yeah. his singular focus. And once that ends, I mean, he's friends with everybody and mm-hmm. he's, uh, you know, everyone looks up to him. I think he lends his time to help people, like all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's a great example you bring up. And, and when reading about that connection he had with his friend, 
kind of remind me of the Brad Marchand thing. Um, just now that kind of came into my head because he had what three or four young guys that he played hockey with, and they all used to kind of feed off of each other and stuff yeah. like that. And yep. it, it, he speaks to how much better that made him and yep. all of them in that group. And I think so. A little bit of luck goes into that, but also you know from the parenting perspective or from the young person perspective, I think you could. If you know that that's going to help, you could seek that out and try to develop that relationship. I guess. What do you think? Yeah, and I think from a coaching's perspective, yeah. too. I think it's. I think we we often hear about like you know kill the opponent or you know I think that a lot of emotion goes into it and that and it's directed in a not a great way. Mm-hmm. And I think that the conversation needs to really shift from that. Uh, from a, both a parent's perspective, but also from a, a coaching perspective too. Yeah. So, um, but you're right. I think helping to cultivate those types of relationships, like those internal battles, I think can help because that battle that they're having internally is going to help them practice what it's like to be competitive with somebody in a healthy way so that they can do that on the, you know, in their, in, in like in a live game or against somebody else who's not on their team. Um, it's just, it's all good. It's all good practice. So for a coach's perspective, helping to cultivate that relationship in a healthy way is, Again, it's it's really necessary, and clearly, um, it, they talked about it in the article. I haven't heard Peyton speak specifically about it, but it clearly was an important relationship for him that helped him like elevate himself even further. Yeah, and I think sometimes, I mean, you make a great point from the coaching perspective, and I, I think I kind of feel like sometimes coaches struggle with that, meaning they're they're too far on one side of the coin. Like they're either like totally go destroy these people, and it's like all world hate, not just sports like <laughs> competitive kind of hate in the mm-hmm. moment. Or they're on the flip side where it's like, you know, participation trophies, do your best, mm-hmm. don't hit anyone, take the edge off, right? Mm-hmm. Rarely do you see them be able to explain, I think, how to be in the middle of that, right? How to turn that on when you need to from right. a competitor standpoint, yeah. which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I think no. that's a good thing. Yeah. And then be able to turn it off and still be a person after, um, be a person to others after the, the whistle stops or that kind of thing. And also, you know, be kind to yourself, right? Not being like mm-hmm. uh, super self-critical about every little mistake that was made when you're playing. So yeah, and I think you, that that's that's a really really important point because I think like the killer instinct that we, we we've been hearing for a lot of times, is, I think, is just synonymous with confidence, right? Like you you hear from some of the best performers and they like they talk about it of, well, I know that I can do that. I know I'm going to go out there and do that. I know I can do that. That's confidence. It might be perceived as killer or like that mm-hmm. killer instinct of like I'm going to go out there. I'm going to like put my my foot on your throat, yeah. and that might help them for those moments. But it's it it comes from a place of confidence. Yeah. You can't have that mentality if you are in doubt of your own capabilities. And man, if you want to listen to someone who totally captured that Kobe Bryant and his Mamba mentality yep, stuff, yep. I mean, he is a perfect example of somebody who is able to capture that mentality on the on the on the court and then be able to like completely separate himself from outside of the court and be like the kindest, you know, nicest person. And, you know, his example, his example of that for me is one that speaks like the best. He was able to do that on the court and then he was able to separate himself and be like this mentor person and loving father and all these different things outside of it. And that he is like, for me, like the epitome of like the perfection of being able to sort of balance both of those, which I had no idea about if I'm being honest. Like I, I always, you know, sports fan, uh, not hated Kobe Bryant, but like it was like it's kind of like he was like Derek Jeter in a way, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah. you totally respected the guy, yeah. and you you know how much you just like despised watching your team go against him was out of respect because you just knew he was almost always going to be on, yeah. And to the demise of your team, right? <laughs> to, uh, whether it's the Celtics or the Red Sox, yeah. and um, you know, I think with Kobe, I I just I never until he passed away, and you started to see all the people come out of the woodwork and maybe I just wasn't paying attention the whole time that stuff was there all along. But 
I never knew he had that behind the scenes impact on all these people. I knew he was oh, a competitor yeah. and he was cutthroat on the court. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that he was, um, you know, that kind of person off the court in terms of lending his time and being a mentor to people. And I mean, it was just awesome. It was awesome yeah. to read about that stuff. I, I st- some of it started to come out a little bit um, earlier than than his accident, um, you know, because he had mentored Jason Tatum for a little bit. So I started to I didn't know any of that stuff. And I think you make a great point that he is such a good example of being able to just lock in and be committed to being a competitor on while on the court and in the middle of the game and then be able to just always uh, almost lock into being you're locked in you're locked in and you're competing off the court from a different perspective right mm-hmm. what does it mean to lock and i think that's where like kind of from a grim drive example like grim drive isn't just about like relentless focus and being obsessed and it. like mm-hmm. i think you can apply it to anything you can apply it to parenting you can apply it to, to doing a hobby it's about committing to something and not yeah. letting you know roadblocks get in the way yeah and i think off the court the way he did that was its own kind of way compared to what he did on the court mm-hmm. but it was about relentless commitment to helping other people and being there yep. for them you know yeah um, exactly so what other kind of takeaways do you have about peyton pritchard um, you know, the other one too, would he talked a little bit about like Steve Blake and like that whole relationship of, yeah. which was fascinating, um, that they used to like play one-on-one and never beat him and, um, or Pritchard never beat, uh, Steve Blake yeah. and how that kind of relationship kind of sparked. And I think it brings up the importance of, you know, I think that having a teammate that you can like push yourselves together and be aligned with. I think that's really important for the development of, of a player um, and the support for a player, but also having like a mentor person who's maybe in a position that you're working towards or having a person that you are like that you look up to, I think is also really important um, for people to have just in general, not just athletes. I think anybody should be working with a mentor or a coach or a therapist. I think anybody should be yeah. working with someone that's going to help them um, like push them and sort of give them a place of like, here's where, you know, here's what we can do to continue to move you forward. I think, you know, we're going to get into burnout the, that, that concept in a second. We get into like grim drive, but I think having a, having a person or a mentor of, you know, sort of consistently reminding you of why you're putting in all this additional work, I think is really important. And I think, I feel like Steve Blake, um, again, this is me sort of assuming, but I would imagine Peyton would have some gratitude for Steve and would say that he was influential in his like continued pushing himself moving towards the NBA. Um, again, I'm speculating, but just based on how they describe that relationship. Um, and I think that it, it brings up a more universal benefit of having someone in your life that can like provide like that and it can mm-hmm. be that for for that so th- those were like the two outside of his own clear dedication yeah. and um passion for his purpose those two things really stood out to me as like additional pieces for mm-hmm. him that felt like they were really influential for him yeah and i'm glad you brought up the steve uh blake point because i think to me that like speaks to it's like a two-part thing one the importance of like i guess i would for in a non-sports way i would phrase it like don't, if you seek out being the smartest person in the room, you're shortchanging yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, like in order to grow as a person, you got to seek out going against the best or being around people that are smarter than you. You can't let e- your own ego get in the way, right? So when it comes to that stuff, this is like a sports example of that. Like clearly at 15, wanting to compete against Steve Blake, <laughs> who at the time was like, I mean, look, I, I don't think he was ever an all-star in the NBA. But, no. you know, he, professional, he, was, he was a professional, professional player. player. I think he was yeah. on the Lakers at the time. Maybe. Yeah, he was. Yep. Um, he was playing a good amount of minutes. Very reliable, mm-hmm. knew his role, but like did it excelled and did it really well. Like that, you're going against the best of the best at that point. Like mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you're playing 15 to 25 minutes in an NBA game on a on a nightly basis, you're one of the best in the world. Yeah. And so you know, Peyton Pritchard's in a position where at 15, most people would not would not want any part of that. <laughs> and not only did he want 
but part of that, he expected to be the best. This gets <laughs> me to my second point. So one, you want to put yourself in a room with people smarter than you mm-hmm. or play against people better than you because that's going to elevate you right mm-hmm. to that next level. Right. And two, and his father speaks to this, is that he was always prepping for whatever is next. What is that next level? I think you almost have to have, in order to succeed at the highest level, in my opinion, now you can tell me what you think about this, you almost have to have like not an irrational confidence, but you have to be able to zoom forward and see what your ultimate capability might be. And then embody that in your current attitude. And I think people struggle with that. They, mm-hmm. they usually have an attitude based on where they're at now. Or maybe even a little bit uh, under where they're at now because they're afraid to fail and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard's example of like he's 15 and he's acting as if he's already a 23, 24-year-old NBA player. Like mm-hmm. he expected to be that good. Um, and I think you kind of have to be able to zoom forward and be like, all right, like especially for young any kids listening, you know, if you're 16, I mean, how often do we see young guys – who are 15, 16, 17, they talk down to themselves because they're uh, as if who they're at now is the finished product version of themselves. And right. it's like, you're not even done developing until you're 25. And so you can't you can't pigeonhole yourself and talk to yourself that negatively as if you need to have it all figured out at 16, 17, 18, because you're a work in progress. I mean, you're mm-hmm. like a half-painted painting. I mean, that, mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that needs to happen. And so if you can zoom forward and try to envision the fully painted painting and then treat yourself based on that in the moment, mm-hmm. that's what I think helps elevate people to the next level. And he's an example of that where he, you know, I mean, I think it's great that he, he at 12, he was mad at a coach that said he was the second best shooter. Yeah. In the, gym, <laughs> I right? love that. the coach being the best shooter in the gym. Yeah. I mean, he was legitimately pissed about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, at 15, he was competing against Steve Blake and crying because he wanted to be the best. And, you know, just obviously he, he's someone who always expected to be at that next level. And I think when you're accomplishing big things, like you have to dream big, and game plan as if that's going to happen while in terms of how you treat yourself, knowing that there's a chance it might not and that it's okay if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very hard thing to balance. Yeah, because why not? Why wouldn't you? Right. Why wouldn't why you wouldn't get one you? life? Yeah. And if you can't if you can't see yourself accomplish right or believe that you are capable of, then you never are going to put yourself Correct. or put the work in the necessary work to get there. Correct. And if you're sort of assuming or being like, I'm going to play in the NBA or I'm going to be, I'm going to be there, then great. Then you know that it's going to be really difficult and you know that there might yeah. be some failures along the way and you can have that work ethic to move forward. But if you're like, well, I'm probably never going to get there, then you're, you're kind of not necessarily copping out, but you're sort of setting yourself up for failure and it's probably more along the lines of you just don't believe in yourself enough to do it. So you're sort of like, well, if I just, if I tell myself now that I'm not going to make it Mm -hmm. when it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be disappointed versus, well, let me just meet disappointment with more work and keep pushing myself moving forward to where I think I can be and what I know that I can be. And that's a big difference. um, I I, I see that all the time. I definitely see that with athletes too, but with just people in general, that's like one of the biggest things they like, they, they're like, well, I, I want to have realistic goals. And I said, great. We can also have realistic goals. We can, you know, and that's not about just like being an NBA player. Great. Well, let's also talk about, let's break that down into realistic goals that you can accomplish on your way towards that, mm-hmm. that are more realistic. But why wouldn't you have that as a goal? If you want to be an NBA player, awesome. Let's talk about that. Let's work towards that. Yeah. Maybe we talk about if a life outside of that, other passions that you yeah. might have to, to round you out into pieces like that. But why would we just shy away from something that's clearly so important to you. Um, and it's interesting when you start having those conversations and pushing back a little bit and challenging people who are like stunting their own growth because of 
fear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting kind of the, some of the stuff that comes up from that. And it's always that they're just worried that they're going to disappoint or they're going to disappoint themselves or their family or their teammates. It usually comes out that that's usually what's going on. Absolutely. And I, mean, I think this, this you know, reminds me of kind of like when it comes to the concept of Grim Drive, I think people, even who hear the title Grim Drive or who think about what it might be, I, I, know, I, I guarantee there's people out there that hear it and they're like, uh, you know, let's not uh, glorify the grind. Let's not. And it's like, to me, that that is a cop out. I look. Mm-hmm. I don't think workaholism or burnout is a good thing. That's that's not healthy. Mm-mm. But I also it's like, how many people actually don't take steps to do what they think they really want to accomplish in life because doing so would burn them out? Versus how many people don't take the step out of what you just said, right? Mm-hmm. Fear, self doubt. Um, you know, and both those things uh, draped in a a layer of denial, right? Like this is what like people avoid doing, taking the hard steps because it gives them a convenient excuse when those things don't happen that they, they can convince themselves it wouldn't have happened anyway. Right. Which allows them to feel better about themselves. Yep. So it's like if you if you don't want to... Grim Drive doesn't mean you have to be obsessed with something in life <laughs> and like, you know, yeah. just dedicate your 100% of your life and do nothing else to it. But it also means like don't, don't avoid doing what you have the chance to do. You have one life. Don't avoid doing what you know would be make your life ultimately fulfilling and purposeful just because fear or denial or that these other tricks, uh, mental tricks are taking hold or calling the shots. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do that. If you had to sit down and give truth serum to the general person and ask them like, especially the, anyone who's over 40, right? And say, did you really commit to doing what you thought you were capable, you may have thought you were capable of doing in life? Mm-hmm. I don't think most people would say they did. And mm-hmm. I think it's out of fear, uh, yeah. fear and convenient excuses and things like that. So I think to me, he's someone, when you talk about work ethic, John, like obviously this dude, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, dribbling weighted balls till his hands bled. I, I, that blew my mind. I've uh, never heard of an example of someone who dribbled too much that they bled their, like, cut up his he And even said, Peyton said, they got, like, open wounds on my hand. I've yeah. never heard of a person that's been able to do that. I haven't either. I mean, I've heard, it's I know crazy. there's some stories about Michael Jordan. I don't know if it was before, probably after he got cut from team yep. in high school. Mm-hmm you know, playing till the wee hours in the morning and just always being on the court and that kind of thing, which is kind of synonymous with this, whether it led to bleeding right. hands, I don't know. But yeah. that this was, um, yeah, Peyton Pritchard's practice habits. I, I don't think you can see why. I mean, look, let's face it. The dude is how tall? I mean, I think he's like six one. Is he six that feet, tall? Okay. Six one, I think, he's undersized yeah. and uh, he doesn't fit the profile of someone who's going to be an NBA star. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, similar to when we talk about like even Justin Forsett from an NFL perspective being a, like a five six running back or that kind of thing, like right. or Julian Edelman as a wide receiver, right? Like, yeah, you have to outwork people to make it there because raw talent alone isn't going to do it, no. right? Nope. Um, it'd be nice to be born with all the talent in the world, but not everyone gets that. And you know, he, so he's five a.m. dribbling practice, six a.m. voluntary workouts, dribbling weighted balls till his hands bled, like all these kinds of things. I mean, he even extra work at lunch. Extra, yeah, all this yeah. stuff. I mean, he even declared he declared for the and I love this declared for the NBA draft after his junior year to get NBA workouts and get feedback, right? To be more, cons- they, they told him be more consistent and lead, and he says I took that and I just did it, right? And it <laughs> led to him, I think, being more of a leader as a senior and also elevating his stats and his performance because he saw like, all right, I, I guess I got to take it up a notch. I love that because he's like, he's not afraid to get that criticism that's going to help him elevate his game. And he wasn't, he's not stopped by roadblocks. I think even after like his senior year, right, COVID kind of ruined his opportunity to showcase himself after that in terms of for NBA teams. So instead, he created YouTube videos of, of his insane dribbling workouts and uh, worked out with Steve Blake again. And, and now Blake can't beat him and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, it's someone who just, whenever a, a barrier is put in the way, 
he either moves it or carves out his own path to to get around it. And I think that I have ultimate respect for someone who's willing to do that because I think you have to remove ego to do that because mm-hmm. you don't you don't view Roblox as a reason why you suck as a person. You view Roblox as a challenge, a puzzle to be solved, and you find a way to solve it. Yeah, and your point about putting yourself in the room with people who are doing the work better than you or are better than you in whatever regard is probably what lended himself to being able to do yeah. that, right? Because he practiced not being the best and putting himself in front of times he knew he wasn't going to be successful or he was going to fail, yeah, right? And yeah. I think that, you know, he he practiced that. He knew he was probably the not going to be... Right, yeah. yeah the ever the elusive <laughs> F word, right? That he practiced, like, losing to Steve Blake. He practiced what that meant. And he knew that, you know, I, I think that's a lot of things that happen. And you, you brought, we've talked about this a lot of, like, people actively put systems in place to not fail, and then when it happens, they're ill-equipped. And when you talk about criticism or getting feedback, that feels like a failure for people because they're not used to having those opportunities of like, okay, this didn't work well, or I need to put an extra work here. Peyton obviously put that additional work in so that when it came time to get feedback from the NBA, he was like, okay, I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm hardened in this way or I'm prepared to hear the feedback because I've, been, <laughs> I've, I've had examples of it in the past. And I think that's something that people could, could pull from him more. I think we need more of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think, you know, we kind of covered why, um, you know, why we think he's a good example of kind of Grim Drive in, in those little tidbits we just discussed. So I think we're going to wrap up this episode for today. We just want to remind people, subscribe on YouTube. We are over 100, but we, we want to have some people subscribe on there. I think YouTube's a great way to um, to view and listen to us and be able to comment. You know, we, we encourage people to make some comments on these episodes. Uh, we will reply to every comment we get, all right? Even if you decide to troll us, go right ahead. We'll reply yeah. with something positive just to make you feel better. Thanks for the feedback. Yeah, exactly. And we'll thank you for the feedback. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, thank you for listening today to the Grim Drive Podcast for this discussion about Peyton Pritchard. We'll be back next week to talk about some more general sports and mental health news. I think we're going to be covering uh, youth athletics and the benefits and drawbacks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.